You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? So, not to get into a very political episode, but we're going to get into a political episode. Um, you know, obviously, the country is very much in uh, turmoil uh, for a few reasons at the exact same time. But uh, beginning back in May, when George Floyd was murdered by a bunch of police officers, um, the idea of social media becoming a place where people needed to learn more and be more informed uh, became very prominent. So mm. of that, like the, I don't want to say the way that I learned because I do read articles and do research and stuff like that, but things that really spark my mind are movies. And mm-hmm. obviously the reason why we started this podcast, um, I guess I just wanted to talk about a few of the movies that have come out re- recently that I thought were great and help open eyes if you want to what's going on around us. Yeah. Um, few of the movies that I saw and the, the main movie we're going to talk about today uh, would be The Five Bloods from Spike Lee that's on Netflix right now. But uh, a few of the other movies I saw were uh, The Hate You Give from 2018, Just Mercy from 2019, and Queen and Slim from 2019. Did you happen to check out any of those? Um, I, I watched The Five Bloods. <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't think I've even. So, I, I mean, I, I really, like, I don't know. I've been crazy busy with everything. I, and that's not an excuse. I mean, I know everyone's crazy busy, especially now. Everyone's life's kind of been flipped upside down and, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I, I don't know. I've, I've, for some reason, I've kind of, um, fallen off pretty heavily with keeping up with with movies unless it's something that i am directly watching and like i hadn't heard anything about defy bloods until you were like hey we should totally watch this and talk about it and i was like yeah like let's do it uh so you know make a short story really long no (laughs) i haven't (laughs) heard uh i haven't heard really anything of the the other movies uh but i should maybe add them to uh the list and and you know, go back and watch. Have you watched all of the ones that you just oh, said? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I watched yeah. all of them, and, and I thought they were all incredible. Uh, okay. Yeah. I have I have a few reserves with the Five Bloods, but that's not content-wise. It's style-wise, like mm-hmm. Spike Lee's style. Like, I enjoy Spike Lee about as much as I enjoy Quentin Tarantino half the time oh my god i was gonna say okay that was that was a better better uh number that i was expecting you to say oh no yeah like both of their catalog i like about half their movies um Mm -hmm. the other half it's not it's not so much obviously it's not so much the 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 way they make movies because it's they're usually pretty similar in how when they make their individual movies but it's the it's the content i guess more than anything else or or the story that they decided to pick um so we'll see like uh 
this one I just had a few issues with a couple of the the style choices or, or movie making choices. And uh, I, I'd love to hear what you think about them because I think we had the same discussion when we talked about um, uh, oh, what's that one movie from Wes Anderson? Oh, Grand Budapest. Yes, Grand Budapest. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I already know where you're going because as soon <laughs> as I saw it, I was like, oh, oh, Grand, all right, Grand Budapest. And and to be fair, to be fair though, I I don't necessarily know that or think that Wes Anderson was the first person to do that either, but. Oh, no, um, no, absolutely not. And probably I have the most recent. Example. Yeah, definitely most recent. Um, so uh, I guess what I want, I'll, I'll just go right into some of the movies that I was going to talk about. So The, the Hate You Give is uh, directed by George Tillman Jr., written by Audrey Wells, screenplay, and based on a novel from Angie Thomas. And it has a young actress, um, Amanda, no, Amandala Steinberg. She. Uh, let's see what else she's done. I know I've seen her in other things. Uh, oh, she was in The Darkest Minds, and she was the young uh, Rue in The Hunger Games, in the first Hunger Games movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, she's a very, very good actress. She's she's very good, uh, especially for a young age. And, and I think that's the most commendable thing for uh, young uh, actors and actresses. Like, I don't think that they really can wrap their head around the craft yet for most of the time, but she does a, an incredible job, in my opinion. Very cool. Uh, it, it's definitely one of the movies that, that brought up a lot of emotions for me, that's for sure. And uh, it, does, it does one of the things that I unfortunately just recently learned about when Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came, came about. It's the whole code switching that... Um, people of color tend to have to do. Uh, so in the movie, when she is in her neighborhood, she feels it's okay for her to talk in a certain way, use language in a certain way. When she goes to the uh, private school that she attends, she has to switch up the way that she talks so that, you know, she doesn't give off, I assume, so she doesn't give off a certain uh, air like about her. Stereotype or, or something. Stereotype, yeah, exactly. And I did, I, I mean, I guess I can, under, I understood the concept before uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, but I never had, I guess I never heard the words before, if that makes sense. Yeah, like you, you were kind of like mentally uh, aware that that was the thing, but you didn't have like the vocabulary to associate that like it had a, you like a specific name had been given to doing it. Right, exactly. So, uh the the movie starts off it's when the young actress uh let's see her character's name is star star carter goes to a party um and when she's there she meets a uh, a young a young man that she knew from her earlier childhood uh and the two of them get in a car together to leave the party and when they leave the party they get pulled over by the cops and uh he just <laughs> she is taking it a lot more serious. Like she understands that being black, being in a car in the middle of the night and a cop pulling you over could be very bad for them. And he's not accepting that. So he reaches into the car after the cop has pulled him out of the car, told him to stand there. He reaches into the car to get a hairbrush. Cause he's kind of mm. still flirting with her. And when he does so, the 
cop pulls a gun and shoots him, kills him, murders him right there. And uh, from there on, it's it's it. The movie's about her, you know, coming to grips with the world that she lives in and and what it is that she has to she what what it is where where does she belong in uh like making people understand that what happened was wrong and, and needless and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because I believe it's her uncle, uh, played by Car- Common, who is also a police officer, and you know, that's a big issue, like in the terms of, are you blue or are you black kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And it, like I said, it brings up a lot of emotions and ideas and, and anger, at least for me. Um, I would definitely recommend it. It's, it's not a feel good movie, but it is a good movie. Well, but you know, and and I, I think that that's a really good point. And and you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, you know, where there was like certain times that you felt like you had watched movies and and maybe had some uh, things kind of opened up to you. So you know, there's like a little bit of learning and and education. I think was what the word you used. But um, yeah, I mean, not every movie has to be easy to watch. I mean, you know, obviously the, the movie we're gonna the, the main movie we're talking about today is is not something I would say is easy to watch. Um, I think there's a lot more films that are are harder to watch for sure, mm-hmm. but um, it, it definitely does deal with some pretty heavy content matter and um, there's some pretty graphic stuff in it for sure. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think people need to just watch movies. I know some people do obviously, but um, it's like you said, I think movies can also be a really good medium to kind of like help people see another side of an equation or, or maybe, you know, be able to put themselves in someone else's experiences or shoes. And, you know, hopefully that can enlighten people or, or, you know, maybe give them another perspective to where they can hopefully start to grow and, and change. And maybe we can make things better, you know? No, you're absolutely right. And I love the, 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 that you brought up the, you know, you don't have to be, or they don't have to make you feel good or, or, comfortable what was your words you used oh i don't remember (laughs) i just said it i don't remember but but like that's what i was i you know i also wanted to bring up is like a movie like this where obviously i don't feel great at the end of the movie i don't feel um a happy this is definitely not a happy ending because of Mm -hmm. everything that's happening in the movie um i'm okay with i i i can enjoy in in a way, like enjoy the craft, enjoy the the story, enjoy the moral. But then when you give me a movie, and I believe we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, when you give me a movie like Uncut Gems, where you have a character that's just so despicable that I'm following throughout the whole thing and just doing terrible thing after terrible thing, and I can I can't stand that. Like I understand that I'm not supposed to feel good at the end of that movie either, right. but it, it's left me in a different place altogether. Well, and I think it, I think it, um, I think it's a totally different experience when you have a protagonist that in some capacities you can root for them. Um, and I think that's the difference that you're getting at is that there's at least characters in this and, you know, there, there are obviously some spoiler alerts here for anybody that maybe hasn't watched it, but I mean, like it, it starts off in one way and then you end up somewhere that you never thought the story was going. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when when that movie starts, uh, and I mean, obviously, I went into this movie with really no knowledge uh, of it. 
You're talking um, about the five bloods. The five bloods, yeah. Um, I don't know. Did you? We can come back to this. Did you? Did you have a? Did you want to talk about some of those other movies you, you had mentioned first? Or yeah, I figured I'd get through those movies first. Okay, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll tackle the five bloods if that's there okay. For sure, totally. So I'll I'll circle back to that. Okay. But I, I think that's what you're getting at, though, is that you, you know, it, in Defy Bloods, there is at least at the start of it, you know, some some of the protagonist that you're like, okay, well, I can get behind this. I could root for this. Whereas, like, for you with Uncut Gems, you were, like, put off from his character from the very beginning to where you're like, yeah, I, 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 I can't root for this this guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, the other, the next movie I wanted to talk about was Just Mercy, which is a based on a true story biopic. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Fox, Brie Larson, uh, and directed surprisingly, not surprisingly, but directed by Daniel. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Destin Daniel Cretton, who was going to be directing the Shang Chi movie for the MCU, or is currently directing that movie. Um. Jamie Foxx plays Walter McMillan, and this is a man who was... Oh, let me see if I can find the year that this takes place. But he's uh, convicted at one point of killing... Uh, I believe... Uh, who is it? Uh, he's convicted of killing somebody, um, mm-hmm. some white people in this town, and even though he's nowhere near where that w- would have happened um, right you know someone else says that they saw him and another person says that they they know it was him but as it goes on michael b jordan's character of of the kind of he's he set up his own like nonprofit uh law firm law law team to help people that are on death row to get their you know, case case looked at again mm-hmm. and hopefully get them off of death row. And he, you know, he, as he, as he goes along, he sees all the evidence is all pretty shaky and terrible and not real. And, you know, n- nobody believes that, or no one really th- thinks that he, that he killed him, especially his fam that Jamie Foxx's family didn't kill the, the, the people. Mm-hmm. But, uh, because, he had a history or had a rumor about him. Like it was enough for everybody to convince that he he's the one that did it. Um, okay. Yeah. It's once again, a really good movie and I don't remember anybody talking about it or seen very much in ways of um, like promotion or advertising promotion for it. Yeah. When it, when it was supposed to have come out. So when I got to, when I got to check it out, I was, really happy with what uh what i saw and and michael e. jordan once again you know just pulls off a great performance of a very young lawyer who might be in over his head but understands the stakes in the end of this you fake it till you make it right <laughs> i mean sometimes you might not want to do that when you have someone else's life on the line but fake it i mean it's probably best not to but i'm sure that it i'm sure that it that it does unfortunately happen you know what i mean oh yeah yeah but i agree with you though i mean i don't i don't think i've seen a performance from michael b jordan that wasn't uh amazing you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah no i mean we've talked in length about like the creed movie and Mm -hmm. uh, uh some of his other work and you you can sit there and 
just feel how great he is in Black Panther. If you want to watch that one, <laughs> I mean, I think he's like the best like character in that movie, performance wise. I mean, he's pretty great. Well, him and what well, was it, Riri? Uh, no, that's Cherie or whatever her name Cherie, is. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Uh, see, I personally like. Uh... Oh fuck! What is it? What is her name? The warrior lady that that's the head of the military. Oh, uh, doesn't she play Michonne? Yeah, she plays Michonne on The Walking Dead. Dead. Oh. And Denai Garcia. Yes. Denai, is that right? Yeah. Now you make me feel bad. Uh, anyways, Denai Guerrera. Okoye, that's her name. I, I prefer, I liked her performance in that movie a lot. So, I mean, she's another great actress, though. I mean, she's phenomenal as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very, very. And if you ever get a chance, check out uh, the director, Daniel, uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, his other film, um, Short Term 12, mm. which was kind of a breakout role for Brie Larson. And it also has Keith David in it and a few other people, if I can look it up real quick. But like, it's, it's got, Oh, John John Gallagher Jr., Stephanie Bert, uh, Patrice, Rami Malek. It's it's got a lot of great actors in it, and it's it's not many people know about. It, I don't think. Yeah, I I don't think I've. Oh, you mean Short Turn Twelve? Yeah, Short Turn. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I've I've heard of that one, but yeah, I, I hadn't heard of the other one you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with Just Mercy, you know it's a true story so you should definitely uh check that out if you're a person that likes true true story uh biopics stuff like that biodramas uh the queen slim uh also came out in 2019 this was directed by melina masukis and i'm probably destroying that name i'm sorry uh screenplay by lena waith and it's a it's a very interesting movie because the movie starts i don't know if you saw the trailers for that or not but the, int- the movie starts off with the two um, leads. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they just go by Queen and Slim throughout the movie. Um, they are meeting for their first date, uh, straight straight up like a Tinder date at a diner where they're eating and they're just con- conversing and stuff like that. And he offers to drive her home. And on the way home, they get pulled over and they get pulled over. Like he's trying to, he's complying to the cops say, and the cop wants to look in his trunk and he's like, that's fine. Looks in the trunk and there's a whole bunch of shoes in there. And he's like, well, what are, what's in these shoe boxes? And he's like, it's just shoes. Um, and when he's at, and then the cop is like, or the, the male played by Daniel Kaluuya uh, says, you know, can we please hurry this along as the cop is going through the shoe boxes? He's He's like, it's cold out here. And it is. It's freezing. And the cop gets very upset about that and starts to handcuff him. And uh, Judy Turner-Smith, who plays Queen, gets out of the car. And she's a lawyer. And she's like, you have no right to be doing this, blah, blah, blah. And then she pulls out her cell phone. And the cop goes to get his gun. And he shoots her in the leg. And Daniel Kaluuya pushes the cop down. The gun gets out of his hands. He picks up the gun, shoots the cop cop gets killed two of them go on a like they they try to run essentially what they're doing they're running away they leave town they head down to 
uh, somewhere in the South, I'm going to say Louisiana. And uh, they meet up with her uncle who's going to try and get them, get them out of the country. But it's like, as they are making their way down, you know, they are meeting more and more people that are kind of on their side. Cause there's like uh dash cam footage of what happened and stuff like that. But yet, you know, they're still running away because they're wanted for killing a cop. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's another interesting movie that to open up your eyes to what it is that, certain people in this country have to live through and live with. Yeah. And I mean, the like, I, I don't know, like I, I can't even imagine like being in that type of position because obviously like, you know, you're going to go into, you know, kind of like fight or flight mode when your life is being threatened. Uh, you know what I mean? And like, how would any of us respond to that? And that that's, yeah, dude, that's such a hard situation to even try to fathom to, to be in. That sounds really cool, though. I might have to check that out as a movie. Oh, yeah, you should definitely check that one out. I mean, it's not it's not a high paced or anything like that, but it is it is a really good movie. Um, trying to see what this the, this director had had done. Also, she's directed a lot of episodes of Insecure on HBO with uh, Issa Rae. Uh, Master of None. She did two episodes of that. It's on Netflix. Um, looks like a lot of short videos for musicians and stuff like that. But nice, yeah. Be interesting to hear your input on that. Um, I don't know. And if you like, I can definitely cut this out. But you come from a family of cops, or at least your father was a cop. Yeah. Do you want me to not go forward with this? I you can I don't know where it's going, but you're more you're more than welcome to to we could talk about it. That's fine. Okay. So I mean, just how do you feel in current times where you know there's being called for defunding police and uh you know obviously cops are having a very big microscope put on them at the moment and and for good reason mm-hmm. at least i would say in my in my opinion yeah uh no I, I i mean yes i agree with you and and i my you know it's interesting i i grew up like you said um with my dad being in law enforcement and i was around a lot of people that were in law enforcement and i mean one of the things that's weird is like i still have very and i'm going to be completely transparent with this 1000 percent um you know irrational fears of of being the victim of a you know corrupt cop or police brutality or something which i mean for those that don't know i am very white so again the odds of that happening are basically zero Mm -hmm. Uh, i i mean you know so but I still I still have always had a very irrational fear about about that or like being, you know, blamed or accused for something that I didn't do or whatever. Like, that's just one of the most irrational fears that I've had throughout my entire life. And so. If I feel that way, I can't even begin to imagine the level of, you know, fear and worry and concern, you know, people of color have to go through just for like a normal traffic stop or a normal passing by of, of somewhere where maybe a police officer is just happened to be 
stopped or eating lunch or whatever, or, you know, even, even worse, like people that have called to have wellness checks done for someone they care about. And then the cops somehow end up killing them. You know, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, there is a huge problem with our law enforcement in, in our country. Um, I don't, you know, it's so hard because you also don't want to discredit the, the good things that also does come out of it. Cause I have seen that side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, I mean, I'm, I'm I, not going to sit here and, and make you try and fix law enforcement in our country. No, 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 no. I, I know, but I mean, you know, it, everything is, is a double-edged sword. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. we do need law, we do need, you know, you know what I mean? Like we can't just be an anarchist society that has no structure, but I do believe that that structure has, has got a lot to, to be better. You know what I mean? I, I think there needs to be a lot more training. Uh, I, it, to me, it's insane that, you know, in order to be a lawyer, you have to go to a tremendous amount of schooling, which is quite difficult schooling for years. Um, you know, you have to pass multiple exams that are also extremely difficult that, uh, you know, a lot of really intelligent people I know have have worked on and, and have not, you know, passed those yet. Um, and so, you know, it's really crazy that in order to be a lawyer and practice, practice, as they call it, the same way they do in medicine, uh, you know, to practice law, like there is a tremendous requirement that's placed upon you, whereas like for most law enforcement, that's really not the case like you can get into a police academy relatively easily you you know don't have to study for years you don't have to have a background in like law or any of that stuff and then you're being put on the street with lethal weapons and uh told to go enforce laws that quite frankly you probably don't even know or don't even understand and Mm -hmm. i don't think that that's necessarily fair either um I think the other side of the equation is, is that we are all people and inevitably uh, we're all flawed and, you know, nothing we do is ever going to be perfect. Uh, But does that mean that we shouldn't hold police to a higher standards? Absolutely not. I mean, if you were going to take on that as, you know, your life's calling, um, because I'll be honest, I watched my dad do that job and I knew in a heartbeat I could never do it. And I... I could, I know I couldn't. So I didn't even, I didn't even try. Cause I'm like, that's not for me. Like, I know I can't do that job. And so I think when you are someone that's hopefully going into law enforcement for the right reason, you're going into it, you know, because it is your calling in life. You know, I would say that I believe that that's the same of, of doctors. I hope if you're going into the medical field to, you know, as you said earlier, have someone's life in your hands, uh, which you do as a doctor or as, as a police officer, uh, I, I would hope to God that that is your calling and that you are going into that for 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 the right reason. But, you know, we know that that's not always the case um, in terms of defunding. I mean, it's obviously I don't know what every every city is doing. I remember kind of like when that's that whole thing kind of started coming up. Like I I, I might be off on my numbers here, but I, I remember looking into it and I think the budget for just the city of phoenix is like six or seven hundred million dollars and then you look like on the the budget chart that i saw and like the next closest thing to it was like i think 20 something million (sighs) and you're like well 
wait a minute, like what the hell? Like, I, so I, I don't know. I, again, and that's very short sighted because I don't know what it takes to really fund all of this stuff that law enforcement does, but that does seem astronomically high from a very, you know, uh, ig- I'm going to call it ignorant. Cause like I said, I, I'm not an economist. I'm certainly not someone who knows all of the ins and outs of, of budgeting and, and running a, um, a city or a state or anything like that. But I mean, like when you see those numbers, and then I think in terms of education, I believe Arizona's rated 50th or 49th. Um, we're at 49 right now. So, yeah, I mean, again, like that's one of those situations where and maybe it's super ignorant on my part, but that's one of those situations where as, as someone you look at and you go, well, yeah, this doesn't this doesn't seem right. Like this really doesn't seem right. And, you know, I. The other side of the equation that that I, at least from the way that I understand, and this may be ignorant, is, you know, we have military personnel that we deploy into war zones that, quite frankly, are held to a higher standard of rules of engagement in a war zone mm-hmm. than our own law enforcement officers are in protecting and serving the citizens of our country. And again, that's one of those things where that, to me... And it may be ignorant. Um, that seems very short-sighted to me to have that be the case. Um, mm. We also, quite frankly, live in a country where guns are very rampant. And I mean, when you look at a lot of other countries that have, you know, don't have that issue, like there isn't nearly as many situations where that's the case either. So. I don't know. I and I don't really know that there's ever going to be a, a, a real solution to it. But I mean, I would hope that we could start finding ways to make things better for everyone and, and you know, to hopefully stop this, you know, rampant, you know, systemic racism with inside of, of our legal system in general. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, that's a really, you know, it, it, obviously this has been going on for hundreds of years before we were even born. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, it really sucks because it doesn't seem like we've really made that much progress. And yeah. and that's kind of, for me, you know, caring about humanity and life and um, all those things, It's it's really hard to digest the fact that so much time has passed and yet so little things have changed yeah i i'm i right there with you and and thank you for opening up and talking about that yeah uh interesting thing i saw in the news uh kind of pertaining to the same thing um the show brooklyn 99 Mm -hmm. like andy sandberg is a executive producer on that show and they have talked about how they are going to go back and, you know, even though they had already started working earlier this year, started working on the next season of the show, like they're going to go back and rework the some of the episodes. They got rid of four of the episodes that they already done and are going to uh, take a look at the show and, and see what it is that they are OK with going forward and what it is that they might need to change, because obviously the the idea of a sitcom that not glorifies, but, uh, you know, heroicize, uh, police work at the moment is a very divisive thing. Sure. Um, I guess that's where I was going to go with that is like, where do you think going forward in movies 
and TV shows about hero quote unquote hero cops do are is Hollywood going to make a change? Do you think there we're going to be seeing less? I mean, look at like Law and Order. Law and Order, in one way or another, has been on the air for the last forty years. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, that's a really hard question uh, to think about. I mean, I <clears throat> obviously the industry is going to change in some capacities anyway because of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. I again, I mean, I. I would hope that, you know, there is something that, you know, for diversity's sake that comes out of all of this as well, because, you know, traditionally Hollywood hasn't had the greatest track record of, of really that either. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. That's really hard. Uh, it's, it's fascinating though, because like whenever you write like, you know, sitcoms or movies or anything like that, I think, law enforcement as well as like war movies and things like that are always a relatively i don't want to say this it's going to sound kind of messed up but it's it's almost like low-hanging fruit in some instances because it's a side of a coin that there's a lot of people that don't have any experience with those things you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like uh, like obviously neither one of us have ever been officers or law enforcement um you know anything like that so and and i feel like that's true for like the bulk majority of of civilians or or you know the population of our country and so there's already some like mystique to it and then you know there's always kind of like situations to take stories out of those where there is a hero or a protagonist that is relatively easy to get behind and to root for, which is what we were talking about earlier with Cut Gems. Is that, you know, when you have a, a protagonist that it's hard to get behind or hard to identify with them, uh, you know, that makes for a, a lower quality story typically. And so when you could take something like a, a war movie or a movie about the legal system or things like where people just don't have a lot of knowledge about, but are also situations where we already do kind of view a lot of those people as heroes because they do go and lay their, their lives on the lines for everyone else and, you know, these things. And so uh, to me, I, I, I don't know that I could see them completely coming away from those types of movies. Um, maybe in the, in the short term, that would be the case, uh, or maybe it'll have the exact opposite effect. Like maybe they'll do more, but in doing so, they'll also focus on m- like having a more diverse uh, diversified cast of you know people and those things but um i mean it's a hot button topic and i i don't know that i necessarily see the industry shying away from it um they might come away from the hero genre but it might be more about focusing on you know kind of telling stories that in some way or another deal with like you know uh, reform or, you know, changing the system to be better, you know, that might be a possibility. Okay. If that makes sense. No, that does make sense. And, and your comment about the low hanging fruit, like taking to the move, take into account the movie we're going to talk about today, Defy Bloods. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are four gentlemen that are coming back to Vietnam to steal money that they stole in the first place like mm-hmm. we've seen and it's not a new movie we, we saw the same thing in triple threat or no i'm sorry triple frontier uh like mm-hmm. last year we saw the same thing with three kings 
which is funny because it's the same cinematographer. Oh, I did not know that. That is funny. Yeah, it's. Um, uh, I believe his name's Newton Thomas Siegel or Seigel, I think, okay. if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, it's same cinematographer. I mean, I, 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 has he done other war movies? Is that is that the the connection, or is it more just wartime heist movies? Uh, I mean, he's done a ton of movies. I mean, he did Drive. He did The Usual Suspects. Oh, wow. um, he did some of the X-Men movies, if I recall correctly. I mean, he's he's been in the industry for quite a while. Um, I don't I don't really recall if he's done any other heist or war movies. I'm sure he probably has if he's been in the industry for that long. Just because, again, it's and I'm not using like low hanging fruit in a derogatory statement i'm just saying like it's i think it's easier to pick those stories oh no no and tell a compelling thing you know what i mean yeah no i wasn't uh yeah throwing you in the bus or anything i just think i like i was saying like these are all three of these movies they're they're characters that are doing a bad thing but we're rooting for them like we Mm -hmm. want them to get away with it and it's interesting because like i feel like if you did the same thing with a cop film you like cops that are stealing stuff you don't root for them like you don't want them to get away with it is does that make sense it does and i guess i would maybe disagree a little bit with you because like that's basically what the entire series the shield was about and like it did pretty well <laughs> no you're right the shield shield is like is, is is a different thing altogether i feel but like take in training day you don't want denzel mm-hmm. washington's character to get away with the crimes that he's committing and in the money that he's uh stealing um you you're you're supposed to be going for ethan hawk to capture you know what i mean true yeah no that's true Uh, you're right you're right the shield is a completely different animal and it's it's surprising that that it worked out as well as it did and and is critically acclaimed and i don't know it's a different thing all i mean these everything that happens in that show is things that we're fundamentally against Oh yeah, no, I I agree. I agree with you. I mean, it it essentially is similar to Breaking Bad in that capacity is I mean, you do kind of root for him in some capacities, but you know, in the other side of it you're like these dudes are really horrible stuff when you really <laughs> think about it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh okay, so we've uh tiptoed around it enough. Let's go ahead and get right into get right into this is 40 minutes later. Let's get into uh <laughs> The Five Bloods. Um, what were your overall thoughts of the movie? Well, so, so this is kind of where we're going. I, I thought it was really quite interesting because, you know, I, again, didn't really know too much about this going into it. And you were like, hey, we you should really check this movie out. Um, and I was like, OK. And I, I really don't think I've watched a lot of Spike Lee's movies. Um, interesting. Or at least I don't recall watching a lot of them, perhaps. Um, I mean, obviously, I watched his remake of Old Boy because uh, I loved the, you know, the original. Korean version um, uh, a lot. Um, I think he did the 25th hour. Yeah, I think I that was say, him. I know yeah. we saw 25th hour together, so you, I know right. you're, you've seen that one. Yeah, so... I, I don't know. So I was kind of like not really sure. Like, I, I mean, I had a little bit of an idea of, of what to expect going into this, but not really. And then when uh, so t- for maybe those listening, like Spike Lee's done a a lot of shorts uh, in his career, a lot of like 
documentary type shorts and things like that. Like he's done a lot of things that have been uh, less like fictional, I guess is what I would say. Like, or he's done more like non-fictional work than a lot of other filmmakers that you typically uh, watch in my opinion. And so um, you were like, let's watch this. And I was like, okay, I sat down last night and I was pretty tired and I was like, okay, well I'll fire it up. I'll start it. And, uh, and, and we'll see what happens. The movie starts off in a very, very, very strong documentary, a a documentary type of way. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's showing us a a lot of really graphic historical content. I mean, there's literally uh, the I forget the name of the event, but it's like the photograph where the, the man is being shot in the head and they show it. They show the guy get shot in the head. They show him fall on the ground and he's bleeding out and you're. I was just like, oh my God. They also show the monks that set themselves on fire. Fire. Yep. Yeah. So it starts off very graphical and very documentary ish. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I was about to watch a documentary right now. And it carries that for a good, a good little while. And then all of a sudden it transitions kind of into, uh, I believe it just says modern day uh, Vietnam. Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Okay. And and even that I was a little like, well, wait a minute. Like, is it modern day as in 2020 Vietnam, or is it like modern day for this story, like in Vietnam? Like, I wasn't quite sure where we were at in the timeline just yet. And then as it starts to unfold, you're like, oh no, this is very much 2020 uh Vietnam. Yeah. Like, okay, we're here now, right? And so then you're like this is interesting. And, you know, the, these uh, four men have come to Vietnam again to at first I was thinking, OK, they came back to Vietnam to. I don't know, meet up like they're meeting up there. And I'm like, oh, why did they go back here? Like, what is the deal with this? Why are they do? You know, maybe they're just having like a reunion here and they're, you know, coming back to where it all happens so that they can like see how things have changed or maybe let go of of the fact that they were in the in the war or you know whatever and then it progresses a little bit further and you're like oh that they're, they're they came back to uh try to find you know the remains of of one of their fallen um you know brothers in, in war and i was like oh okay that that makes sense that's a very noble thing to be doing and then it very quickly changes again to where it's like oh well actually we came back for a metric ton of gold uh and we're all gonna be stupid rich now and i was like oh like (laughs) wait what so yeah and, and then like i don't know it's really like interesting too because even as you progress through the movie there's little inserts of documentary in there there's like little moments where they mention something and it'll flash to like a real image or and they give you, you a know, date in a, in a specific like location of where, where this is taking place and stuff like that yeah yeah and so it, i i have to say and and the like what you were talking about earlier is so it, it's kind of going through that but then it also does kind of cut i, I I have a hard time even calling it flashbacks. It's not really like a full. It's sort of a flashback, but it's more of like a, a memory because when it flashes back, all of them, the four that have showed up are still old. Right. Uh, and then you have Chadwick Boseman's character, who's uh, Storm Norman, um, and he's young. <laughs> and I was like, huh. I'm like, that's a really 
I mean, it's a very budget effective way of doing a, a, a flashback or a recall. Uh, but I, I have to say, and, and then the Grand Budapest thing you were talking about is when it goes into those memories, um, it it looks like we've gone potentially from digital to film stock or at least current film stock to very old film stock. And then we're changing into like almost like a four by three aspect ratio to kind of show that there's a uh you know change of the time period of what the story that we're now in is is happening and so um very effective utilization of that i thought that was really good and and helps it to be a little bit easier to follow um but i don't know i mean what what did you did you how much about did you know about this going into it uh so going into the movie i i didn't really have a lot of information about it i i definitely did not know about the using the same actors for the quote unquote flashbacks, which I think you're right. It is more of a recall to memory. That's why they're staying in the age that they are because it's supposed to be, uh, you know, the, those four particular characters remembering it. And as they remember mm-hmm. it, they remember the way that they, they remember it with themselves in it, not yeah. as their younger selves in it. It's like um, residual self image. It's how yeah. they, how they are right. now because they can't picture themselves young anymore, but storm and Norman never got old. So he's always that way in their mind. Correct. And yeah, exactly. Um, like I said, I, I didn't, I didn't know much about it. I didn't, I actually didn't even know that there was a, a gold heist that was going to be happening in it. I just thought it was going to be a movie about these ge- older gentlemen remembering their time in Vietnam. So, uh, scene is that there, there was these two, two very distinct, not storylines but subjects happening in this movie. Mm-hmm. At the time. There is the, there is the the war, uh, the war heist, or I guess the the finding the gold kind of thing. And there's this other social justice theme going on at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, that's very much. Chadwick Boseman's Norman character's uh, purpose in the movie is to constantly be reminding him, like, look, this is why we're here. This is what we're doing. You know, our people have been fighting for this country since the beginning. Like, mm-hmm. you even bring up the the case of what is it, Atticus something, uh, the first man that died during the Civil War, who was yep. a black man, so like that. And uh, and like it's been that way this whole time, and when they bring up that statistic in the end of was it 11% of America's population at the time was, was African-American, but right. 32% of the soldiers in Vietnam were black soldiers. And which is another interesting thing is that, you know, there aren't very many war movies that focus on, uh, black Americans being the soldiers. There's glory. There's, uh, the Tuskegee airmen, Mm-hmm. but there's none and there's especially none about vietnam which yeah 32 percent. that's that's a pretty big percent and it's a very very staggering number when you hear it especially put into the context of the way that they delivered those statistics like 11 percent of the population is is that way but then you know 32 percent are have are being called to go to war you know Mm-hmm. In the draft, most likely on top of that. And yeah, that's, oh my God, that's that, that really hit me. I was like, holy crap. And then you also have, you know, subjects of PTSD that that's happening. And that the character of Paul definitely suffers from that. And you find out at the end that it's more than just being in the war. It's the fact that he killed his best friend mm-hmm. through friendly fire. Like that's, 
that's a big reel that I did not see coming. Like there's a couple that you can very much telegraph throughout this movie. There's uh, you know, um, what was this? The the the, the guy who owned, who who has his name on all the uh car dealerships. Yeah. You know, he as he's walking backwards over and over, it's like, well, obviously he's about to step on a mine because everybody has been talking about mines, or at least mm-hmm. they talked about mines two scenes earlier. Uh and then you know, for sure enough, he steps on a mine. Man, I was not expecting to see his half body and him still alive while you know sitting there. I wasn't either, but I I have to say that that did take me out a little bit because it just instantly snapped me into Tropic Thunder oh. when when Ben Stiller's like sitting there with his arms off, and I was just like, oh, but yeah, it, yeah, but it's still really jarring. Yeah, and. And I have to say that maybe it was it's Samuel Jackson in Deep Blue Sea that has ruined me for any time that anybody stands in the middle, like, and just has a big old speech about what's going to be, we're going to do the right thing, and this is going to happen, and now, you know, and then all of a sudden dies in a big way. Yeah. Uh, So every time that happens, even if the person doesn't end up dying at the end, I'm like, okay, this person's about to die. Like, it's about to happen. So interesting fun fact though. I did I did read a little bit about this before we talked about it. So interesting fun fact because you said Sam Jackson, he uh and Don Cheadle were actually originally in talks to be in this movie and then they had to back out because of uh conflicts, ca- like uh, scheduling conflicts. Yeah, so it was Giancarlo Esposito and Denzel Washington and his son John David Washington were supposed to be in this movie. That's crazy. That would so have been like, a totally John different movie with Sam Jackson. What was that? I said that would have been a totally different movie with Sam Jackson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm guessing he would have played Paul and like the whole boat scene where he's yelling at the guy for selling him a chicken and they kept saying like mother effer over and over again. I was like, oh, I really think that he would have played Otis and uh, Denzel Washington would have played Paul. Wow. You know, I would have thought that would have been the other way around for me, but that would be interesting. I would totally be down to rewatch the movie that way, too. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you're right. It, it could have been anyway, just because I and maybe that's just because I think Denzel Washington and his son, John or David would have, you know, would have played David mm. and would have had the father son thing there, which that would have been interesting. I would have, I, I was very interested about the whole letter at the end of the movie too. Uh the letter from Paul to David that mm-hmm. he gave to Otis to give to him if he it didn't make it through this. And throughout the movie, like obviously, uh, Paul is suffering. Yeah. You know, mentally throughout his whole life after coming back from Vietnam. Uh, you throw on the fact that his son uh or his wife dies during the birth of his son, like it's compounding. And he's throughout this whole movie is kind of like, you know, I just couldn't love my son. I couldn't love him the way that he needed to be loved. I couldn't, you know, I was so, I was so angry and stuff like that, but then the letter comes out and it's like, you know, I do love you and all that. And you know, your mother and I love you. And I don't know how I felt about that. Like I get what Spike Lee was trying to do, but in the day and age of recognizing the toxic people in your family, Mm -hmm. like a person that is bad as Paul is. And I, you know, I know I don't have much to go for, go on before this movie starts. But I don't I, like to me, it just felt like that letter is not enough. 
Well, they alluded to the fact that he was pretty crappy to his son. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, there was definitely some moment like for as good as the movie is, which I do think it is really good. There's also a lot of things that are also feel very disjointed because even the whole timeline of the letter, because like when he was sitting there, like and maybe I misheard it, but it, it kind of shows them in the car. And he's handing him the note or whatever, but then he says something to the effect of like, oh, I gave this to him. And like, I don't know, for some reason, like my mind went to he gave it to him when they went to Vietnam the first time. Mm. But I'm pretty sure he was trying to say that it was the second time that he gave it to him. But then there's so much like back and forth to where they're like kind of bonding, but then they're not really bonding. But then the son's supposed to be a good person, but then he's kind of not really doing great things. But then like that's kind of the case for everyone. And I think to a large degree, that's also like one of the underlying themes of the movie is that money just really turns people into garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, because quite frankly, they all seem to be relatively decent people at first. And then as you start to get more and more into the money, like the morals and stuff start really becoming questionable and everybody's ready to turn on everyone instantly. And, you know, well, I mean, you take, crazy. Account, you take into account that Paul, like literally says, I don't even care about the gold. I'm here to b- find my friend and, you know, bury his remains. And then not more than a minute later when they find the goal, he's like, I'm here for the gold, you know? Yeah. And he's like singing the songs and clapping <laughs> the gold together. He's like, I got a golden ticket. Yeah. I mean, that was more of uh, Willy Wonka, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of the same attitude with like Grandpa Joe. Grandpa yeah. Joe couldn't get his lazy ass out of bed to go help his family, but sure got out of that bed pretty quick to go to the candy store. <laughs> That's right. And that was even real gold. That was just a gold ticket. I doubt that was actually monetarily worth anything. So, I mean, $47 million of gold. And Paul was like, well, forget Norman. All about this gold cheddar right here. I think it was only $17 million worth of gold. But that's okay. Well, that's still a (laughs) lot. Still. Also, these four elderly gentlemen thought they were going to carry all that gold out on their own. Like, right? That I don't know if it's people just don't realize how heavy gold actually is. Uh, that's what I was saying. I was like, as soon as they did, I'm like, how the heck are they gonna get all that out of there? Like, they like four of them are just gonna carry like a metric ton of gold, and then they also have to carry out the remains of their friend, assuming that they were did find their friend. Well, they did address that actually. So when he had the approval letters and he was talking to the guide, uh-huh. um, he said, "We're going to find him, and then a recovery team is going to come in." Got you. Okay. So they did address that, but I, I was thinking that too because I'm like, "Are they going to go dig him up and then bring him back in like a bag or something?" And then he was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, then a you know whatever whatever embassy recovery team or something's going to come in." I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that makes a little more sense." Yeah, so I guess they just take down the coordinates of where they were at, right? Right, right. Um, Which, wait, that's another thing. Like, I thought gold was not detectable on a metal detector. Am I mistaken by that? Uh, I think you're you're mistaken by that. Okay, I probably am. But I, I for some reason, I thought that. And then he whipped that out. And I'm like, I'm not sure that that work, works for that. But I guess it does. I was probably totally wrong on that. So you also have the two actors that are that, that play characters that are part of Lamb. Um, they were both in Black's, Black Klansman. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that or not. Um, I haven't. I really want to. I've heard really good things about it. Yeah. It's a, it's, it is a really good movie. And it's, it's interesting to see the two of them in this and not really have a part. Um, it, obviously, Spike Lee just liked them and decided you guys should be in my next movie. Yeah. Um, 
when they first show them though not first show them when they show them after the guys find the gold didn't they have guns in their hands like i i know i should have went back and looked at the scene but i I thought they were in the shadows they had guns but then when they show up after uh eddie steps on the landmine they don't have any weapons so you're talking about like the viewpoint where we see the two people and it's like through the trees and they're yeah. like picking gold up. No, that is the the Vietnamese people that show up later that oh, okay. sent by the professional. So <laughs> yeah, genre. what did you think of Jean Renault's character? Like, did you suspect that he was going to betray them? I mean, uh, kind of. I mean, I, I think, you know, you kind of just uh, make that association. Uh, but then I was like, well. I mean, he could have just screwed him after the fact. Like, he could have literally, like, they had to give the gold. To, like, it almost would have been smarter on his part to just screw them after the fact. Because they would have had to have brought the gold to him. Yeah, now and then, gonna, who are they yeah, going to do? <laughs> right. Well, then he converts the gold and does whatever shady stuff he was going to do. And then just doesn't deposit the money. Yeah. Because what are they going to do? Be like, oh, we buried this. Gold. Like, how are they going to get? You know what I mean? Like, it made no sense to me that he was like, I'm going to totally F some out of this before they do all the hard work. Like, what do you what? No, like they're already bringing it to you. <laughs> I guess the biggest thing is like maybe Paul's character just really pissed him off. So he wanted to get him killed. I mean, he's still going to kill them. Mm, that's like, true. They're, they're bringing it to you that you just wait you just sit back wait they show up 30 people unload on them you do the shady stuff with the gold you call it a day you don't even have to go into the humid jungle yeah yeah not it, not very smart it, the it professional seemed like, it seemed like a bad story turn <laughs> the, but that's what i mean there's there's just little i mean whatever obviously you have to do that to have a movie i mean right i mean that's like a given people always make really stupid decisions that, or, or else you wouldn't have a story but there I, I don't know it's just interesting that there was like a lot of things that just felt like it didn't work or it just wasn't it just didn't feel connected properly and i think it's it's maybe even so much more evident because the rest of the movie is just genuinely so well done and so good that those few moments, like, because if you just had like a, a movie that was like okay and you had some really bad parts to it, you're gonna be like, they're not gonna seem as bad because you're like, well, the rest of the movie's decent, so like that's not that bad. But when you have everything else in the movie that's like pretty, pretty well elevated, when you do have those moments, they seem that much more in your face. Like they jar you so much more because you're like, well, everything else was going so well. Like what happened, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's hard. That's that's hard of any creative endeavor for sure <laughs> um so one thing i also it's kind of a nitpick it's oh it's very much a nitpick so there's times when the different characters are showing each other like pictures on their phones mm-hmm. instead of just the camera showing the phone mm-hmm. they cut to a black screen where the, fo- the the picture is on the black screen mm-hmm. i don't know as a movie watcher i don't I feel like it pulls me out of the movie as I don't know, as a filmmaker, like, what do you think of that idea? Um, well, I might've, cause a lot of the photos that they showed, um, I thought was Eddie taking them. Cause he had like a camera with him and he was taking stills. And I think it was showing 
the images that he was taking. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's, that's a different thing, though. And, th- and I understand, I kind of understand that, like, if you're, when they show him the picture that he's taking with his actual camera, but I mean, like, like, if they, it, at the very beginning, when they meet in the hotel lobby, he just wants to show them a picture on his phone that, of, like, his family or something. I don't remember what it was, but um, when they does, when they do that, the, the, the screen goes black, and then the picture just shows up, and then it goes back. I mean, the only thing that I could think of there um, is is maybe it was a directorial choice to try to start getting used to. Yeah, get people a little bit more comfortable with the fact that this was going to be a continued thing that happens throughout the movie. Um, I'd maybe have to go back and watch it again. Um, I, I, I mean, a lot of the you know real photos because there was like a couple of times where they cut in with like you know people that had actually I, I at least i believe people that had actually served and had died and it had like their name and the dates that they had served mm-hmm. and when they had passed and then there was some of showing kind of the you know the fallout of war so to speak where it was you know some of the vietnamese children that had been killed and and very graphic so i feel like maybe that's just creating a cinematic language for your film and and I would agree with you. It, it probably isn't as effective if you're talking about, you know, the the fictional side of stuff. I think it's a lot more, um, to at least to me as a viewer, it, it feels a lot more powerful when all of those things that you are focusing and giving that screen time 100% to is 100% non-fictional. It makes it that much more impactful. But, you know, inevitably, I think you do have to also get your audience and and keep consistency and get people used to things and i feel like maybe that's why um i mean obviously spike lead plays with uh the aspect ratio or um uh what's the what's the word i'm looking for because like there's a time when they're used there you see the the film through the footage of the was it 16 millimeter camera or whatever I mean, it, it could be. It looks like a little like handheld Bolex type of camera. Uh, yeah. It's definitely shooting film for sure. Um, you see the little mark in the side and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. the, the whole movie, throughout the whole movie, it's he's playing with that um, with the medium in that way. Mm-hmm. So uh, last yeah, and it's it's it. I was oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It is interesting though that pretty much all of that was from Eddie's perspective. Like, I don't think from what I recall, we see Eddie in the reverse of that. Like, it's almost all like he was the one with the camera. He was the one with the film camera. Like, and Melvin, I think this was it a couple times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was like, well, if it is just the one character, that's kind of interesting too. Cause like what, you know, what was the choice behind that? Like why? I don't know. That is interesting. I, I, maybe I'll have to watch it again. Cause that's a really interesting question. Uh, and the last thing is that, you know, it, when they finally show a picture of the five of them back in Vietnam at the, the first time, you know, during the war, like you see all the characters that we've seen throughout the movies in younger makeup or special effects to make them look younger. It's the only time. And it's just mm-hmm. that still photo. Like, how do you feel about that? No, I mean, and again, I think that I think that's good because that was, um, you know, capturing that as it actually happened whereas like what we were talking about earlier where like it's more of a recall than a flashback to where you have those moments of where 
they're reimagining themselves in the scenario, but they have changed. They're not the same person they were then. And so I think making that distinction is also very important. Um, and I, and I feel like that's a very strong directorial choice as well to say, you know, they went through this together and they all were a certain way then, but they've come out of it very, very different and they have changed. And even in remembering those things, they can now only remember it as they have changed. They can't truly recall it as they were when they were there. Um, which, brings, and, which brings up something. Uh, sorry to cut you off. No, 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 no. Go for it. Which brings up something because like even when Otis explains to David who Norman was, he's sitting there like, Oh, you know, they're all like, Oh, he's a super soldier. Like he was the best of us. He was the best of the best. And then you get to the flashback or memory where the lady is sneaking up on the side of the plane. And that's when Paul accidentally shoots Norman. Like if he's such the great soldier, like how did, how did she get up past him like that? Like at that point, I'm not, I'm not questioning his ability to be a soldier. I'm just saying, he's probably not as good as they are remembering it. They're, they're glorifying mm -hmm. his, mm -hmm. his memory or, you know, uh, holding him up higher than he, he actually was. Well, and again, I think that's a very strong thematic uh, observation and statement to be made. If that was spikes intention, uh, because you're, you're right. Like we do remember people very differently and, and we're of course going to remember them extremely differently. If, a, we accidentally shot and killed them, or B, they went out in a very, you know, kind of like before their time or maybe, you know, a catastrophic way. You know what I mean? Like, we are going to tend to kind of like elevate that onto a, a, pedif a pedestal. Oh my God, I cannot talk. <laughs> a pedestal. And like in doing so, we are going to try to focus more on those good things that we recall about them instead of their flaws. But I agree with you. And I think that that's also part of the human condition. And I think that's another strong point to the, to the film. And he, I also, in speaking of like the transitions and, you know, the different uh, aspect ratios and film stocks and all that sort of stuff, I thought that that was really well done too, because the, the point where Paul does have the vision of Norman in the current time you know, we go up into the sky. We're very much alluding to the, the you know, to his observation of the heavens. And there's uh, actually these light beams that are coming down, which are very, very frequently referred to as God beams, like both in, you know, film and other, you know, painting and digital creations and all that sort of stuff. And so we go through all of these God beams and then we land on a spectacular shot. I mean, very well, like just a gorgeous frame of Chadwick, uh, Chadwick Boseman in you know, his his Vietnam dress. Um, but then, you know, it's so funny because they talk so much through the story about how Paul revered Norman as a god. And imagine what, uh, you know, trauma it must have for you to have killed your own god. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, it, it, uh, the, that, and that's what I mean. Like, there's moments like that that are so well done that the the few moments that feel like contrivances or or areas where maybe the, the story is a little disjointed uh, i feel like that's why they feel so much worse because there's those those moments like that uh, where it just it feels like it's it's so well done you know and, and but anyway sorry that was kind of a, a weird nope. tangential rant about that but i thought i thought that was a really great moment because that also is where he forgives him and like himself and mm. I mean, obviously, Tim forgiving himself because right, not the ghost of Norman. It's right. 
in his own head. Yeah. So. Right. Uh, all right. I mean, obviously, I think the both of us would recommend this movie if people yeah. are into that type of movie. So, uh, Richard, any last thoughts? I uh, thank you for telling me to watch this. I <laughs> I don't know that I would have gotten around to it anytime soon otherwise. And it it was uh, quite a pleasant surprise. Like uh, I I don't want to call it refreshing because I, I I think it deals with some very serious uh, things and um. But I, I do think it is great to see movies and, and like the other movies that you mentioned that are using a platform to hopefully make us better people and to uh, make us aware of things that maybe we aren't. And I, you know, I think that's one of the big reasons that we've, you know, all kind of fallen in love with, you know, cinema and those sorts of things. And it, it can be a powerful uh, platform. And so, yeah, I think that's incredible. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rycoen, R-I-C-O-W-N, or you can find me um, on Twitch every uh, Wednesday and Sunday around 2 p.m. Arizona time. It's twitch.tv slash Rycoen and the number one at the end. So R-I-C-O-W-N and the number one. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at Mitchipedia, G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. The rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media on Twitter, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our network on our website, geekelitemedia.com. But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Media Network saying, always remember to geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Peace.